What's good, y'all? My name is Dylan Green, and this is Real Notes, a space dedicated to blurring the cultural and artistic lines between rap and film. I'm here to chop it up with everyone from rappers and producers to journalists and video directors about their relationship to movies and how, if at all, film inspires their craft. My guests this week are rappers Billy Woods and Elusive, also known as the duo Arm & Hammer. We talk about Woods' childhood memories of watching American cinema while living in Zimbabwe, Elusive's affinity for short stories, some pretty damn hot takes on the work of the late John Singleton, the abstract magic of Ghostface Killer, and the creative process behind their latest album, Haram, produced entirely by The Alchemist. Come fuck with us. Hi, everybody. What's cracking? Thank y'all for coming back to Real Notes. We got another episode. We're going to have fun for huge. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dylan Green, Cinema Sci. I got names. Those are two of them. Um, and I have two incredibly special guests on my show today. This is, uh, this is very fire. Um, we got Billy Woods and Elucid, the duo known as Arm & Hammer. I, like, they, they, don't, they don't really need much of an introduction. Like... Both of y'all, Woods, Elusive, thank y'all for coming on my shit, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, it's a be- it's a beautiful rainy, it's a beautiful rainy Wednesday afternoon on on the East Coast. So yeah, there's no better there's no better time to just talk shit about movies, I guess. <laughs> um so to start this off, I have a question for both of you. Um, what was the, when was the first time the both of you went to the movies? Man, I was a kid. The first time? Yeah, the first time. Yeah. Okay. Right. Was the, I was a kid. It was the Care Bears movie. Whenever that came out, the Care Bears movie. Yeah. Damn. You fucking, you, you sat there. <laughs> you sat there, you sat there and watched them put the Care Bear stare on them. Um, I forget the, there's like a big villain in the movie, right? Like, and they did this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, young young kid. Wow. At wow. Greenacres Mall. At Greenacres Mall, man. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. You <laughs> the same this is the same mall and theater that, that Nori shot up. No, like maybe what? like maybe a few years later. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. You remember what year that was? Iraq see the world, the world see Iraq. Right. See, for me, I might this this might have been like eighty five, maybe eighty six. Whenever Care Bear movie came out, wow. whenever I think it was like eighty eighty five, maybe. Yeah. Wow, that's so loose. Woods, what about you? Uh, I don't remember this, but it is a it is a well told story in my family. Uh, my mother took us to my me and my older sister to see. Superman, the first one, yeah, a million years ago, um, and apparently I uh, I was just a little 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 kid, uh, maybe four years old or something, and um, I got really scared and spent a lot of time walking in the aisles crying, which apparently yeah. did not concern my mother enough to leave the movie. So make of that what you will. <laughs> <laughs> um why why what scared you so much about superman if you don't i mean know. i don't remember this at, i don't remember at all but it's just one of those stories that my mom has told for my whole life about how we went to the movies and um i got really scared 
by I mean, what you know, when you're that age, obviously Lex Luthor, anything could have scared. Yeah, ball head you know right Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah, any any type of whatever. Somebody shot a laser out of Superman, shot really a laser loud. out of his eyes, and then he gets scared. Yeah, um, yeah I remember like kind also, of being I mean, you're four years old. Who goes to the movies when you're four? Obviously, after twenty minutes, I probably was done with it. True. But um, yeah, they stayed for the whole movie, so I have no idea. They just let me wander outside, hoping I get kidnapped or what happens. But um, that was the first movie I saw. The first movie that I really, if you said remembered seeing, it's a different. Uh, that's really tough, man. That's really tough. I feel like there's a few different early '80s movies that it could have been. It would be really, it'd be hard for me to put my finger on it. I remember seeing. Um, I don't know, all those corny 80s movies that you saw when you were a little boy, like uh, War Games. I know that wasn't the first. Um, or The Man with One Red Shoe. I remember that. I remember going to see Top Secret, um, which is sort of the predecessor to the airplane movies and all of that. Val Kilmer's first role, I think. Wow. I remember going to see that in the theater. Um when I was real little, but I, I can't really remember the exact first movie that I remember watching, but <laughs> Superman, <laughs> Superman one. Yeah. That Superman story is very wild. Cause like, that's not even, um, this wasn't, this wasn't one of my first, but like when I was, when the dark Knight first came out, someone, someone brought their infant, to the dark night like so like the, so 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 like the joker puts a pencil through michael jai white's face and a baby is crying the entire movie and everyone is like yo like why did you bring your kid to this movie <laughs> like why that's really that's really crazy that's really annoying not even not, not even just because not even just because of the fact that we're trying to watch the movie but like this is like a literal child like like why is this just like why is this baby here like not even like a kid like like a full-on baby it was a lot it's interesting you mentioned that movie because uh i don't know it's always interesting to me in america how every shooting people what's going on and it's like when you look at the wreck there was just a shooting that there the week before or whatever because even with these colorado shootings i remember that was the batman shooting was in Yep, Aurora. Aurora, wasn't it? I was in Aurora. Yeah. Oh, oh, it was in Aurora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember going to see that movie after that. Not in Colorado, obviously. Right. But I just feel like wherever you were, you were kind of like, <laughs> just the idea of somebody like watching that type of movie and you hear shooting and the amount of time that split second where you'd be like, wait, oh, they're shooting in the theater? I mean, that must have been truly truly terrifying yeah i can't i can't even imagine because you're watching a movie you're probably thinking it's special effects right except for all the extra lights except for all the extra lights yeah farts but yeah and you know and and yeah yeah yeah, that's crazy right yeah of course like it all depends it all depends on where you see movies because there are some places where shit like that happens all the time and that's even more terrifying to be honest like but you know, like everyone's everyone's. Different. I just feel like wherever you are in America, some person for any variety of reasons may start shooting. 
That's just the reality. The whole thing where people are always like, I can't believe it happened here. I don't understand it. If you live in this country, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. Like it, 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 it could be a regular person or it could Why be. Why wouldn't it happen? You know? Like Nori, Nori, Nori could just come and shoot up another theater. Like it could just happen, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely came up during the golden era of, um, of, of, of sort of public scares of black shooting up movie theaters. Not to say that the young people didn't shoot up movie theaters, but it'd be like a certain type of movie was coming out. Exactly. Like, you don't want to carry it. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like it was one of those movies was the Nori shooting was one of those movies too. It was like- I think, I think it was New Jack City. That's why I said it. I think it was I New Jack City. Was New Jack City. And yeah. I remember like even before that happened, like, like I was a kid, like, but I remember like, my parents talking about it and there being like security guards at the movie theater and them being like, what's going on with this world? You know, just like. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so intense. <laughs> so intense, bro. So like, so like. Well, yeah, or if you wanted to see certain movies when they came out, you'd, have, you'd be like, yo, you're gonna have to go to the hood movie theater and it would be a pretty menace to society. I feel like it was a little bit like that where it was like not playing initially it was not, it would not necessarily be playing at some suburban movie theaters. Um, You'd be like, all right, now we got to go wherever, which of course increased the likelihood that you get all of the young people in one movie theater in neighborhoods where maybe they're not even from. Thus increasing the likelihood of something actually happening. Mm. Anyway, right. Um, yeah, that's 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 funny. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, um, before we move on, I also remember hearing stories like that about uh, uh Boys in the Hood as well. Like somebody, uh, I think somebody over at the Ringer public, or, or, no, or it was it was some publication. They published this like really long piece about like like the fervor surrounding Boys in the Hood, like when the trailer first came out, because it was like cut, like like the movie is very much like against fucking like like shooting people and things and like the trailer the original trailer wasn't like they cut it to make it look like a run-of-the-mill like gangster movie and it's like not so like john singleton and uh i think one of the producers at paramount were like really upset with the people who cut the trailer because they were like you're like you're advertising this as a way that it's not and it like caused the like, like, I, like, I think it was specifically kept out of certain theaters because of that. Mm. So it's just interesting. I feel like people would have kept it out anyway. I mean, because it didn't really, nobody was really making any of those movies, whether you're talking about colors before that or whatever, they all had a very, right. the narrative arc also always was like against gangs or whatever the case may be, If it, especially if it was in that particular era and you're not talking about like, I don't know, maybe king of new york or something but um but i feel like that didn't prevent people from saying oh we shouldn't have this movie and i mean also that was a time when so many more people just got shot in a you know in period right right you know so everyone was paranoid about anything that might incite violence and you know you had never ended we had the people talking about this is a whole era 90s you know and they're like 
see Dolores Tucker and should rap records be censored and Tupac actually going to a trial for the guy who shot the cop and then said he did it because Tupacalypse Now was playing or whatever. Right. (laughs) A lot of funny stuff happened in the 90s. I I feel like Judas Priest, was it Judas Priest who was on trial for their lyrics being played backwards? Yeah, it was them. It was Judas Priest. Imagine having an actual actual courtroom proceeding where you're playing records backwards to see if a band mentally controlled. Preposterous. (laughs) That's so crazy. I was just talking to somebody about that like three days ago. (laughs) That's so wild. Wow. Backmass Judas Priest lackers. (laughs) That's where I like. Crazy, crazy times. And only in that. Anyway. So like so so like while y'all were growing up and you were watching movies, like do you remember what like what the movie was that made you, if not necessarily fall in love with movies, like recognize them as a as a thing and be like, oh wow, like this is like I love this. Like was there anything that kind of gave you like was there any movie in particular that gave you that sort of like that just kind of stopped you in your tracks? Hmm. I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I went to the movies, but it was, it was, you know, we didn't, it wasn't like a, a super regular thing. It's always like a treat. And I don't know. I just kind of fell in love with like the whole experience more than just the movie, just like how loud it was. And, you know, it was sitting in darkness and like eating like sugary, buttery, salty things, you know, with my friends or whatever. I was always tight. Yeah, I can't remember like any specific movie that made me like sold me on film. I think that probably came in the comfort of like my own home, like with like VHS tapes. So like even DVDs as I got older, you know, yeah. I just kind of like exploring like uh, like the boundaries of like film. Yeah. What What would you what What would you say? What would you say was the most exciting part about like the experience of watching a movie for you, whether it's at the theater, at your house? Now or then? Um, whenever, really, and that's for both of you because yeah, Lucy just said it, so yeah, whichever, whichever one. Hold on, what was it, Lucy's answer? Acquiring candy. I like sour peaches. (laughs) (laughs) As a kid, I love those. Um, I think that uh, I think that as a kid, a lot of my feelings around movies were also formed by where I where I was when I was in those formative years you know uh we got to Zimbabwe I'm a little kid and so I I watched a lot of movies there which meant both we went to a movie theater uh there was a movie theater not far from my house it was kind of like um old school movie theaters here where um there was just a, you had a big screen and then there was, there was only one, there were two rooms. There were two, so only two films could be playing at the same time. And, um, and they had a balcony and I used to like to sit on the balcony and, um, and I saw so many movies in that theater and also being from America, it was, and feeling like an American at that time. It also was a way in which you go see a movie and see what you imagined was part of your, you know, because you miss home and you go see movies and, and really being exposed to sort of filtering and experiencing America, a place that I was from and 
a very real sense, but had not really been in that much um, through the movies, you know? Um, so that was part of it. And also that uh, TV didn't, there was only one TV channel. Um, so a lot of times as kids, we watched a lot of movies that people would, like people would go overseas and tape lots of movies. And sometimes you had friends who had lots of movies on, you know, sort of recorded to cassette because if somebody went to England or the States, they would record movies. And you even knew people who had like the double, double VHS things. So you could record and dub off of movies and, um, so yeah, so I just uh, watching a lot of movies with people's friends, and I had one particular friend who had like older brothers and sisters there, and they a lot of movies that I remember watching. Not necessarily that they were good, but uh, we would watch a lot of movies over there, and that's where you'd see like R-rated movies, maybe that I my mom wouldn't have had at our own house or whatever, you know. Um, I don't know. Something like Terminator was really memorable to me, but also when you're a little boy, all action movies are just the no. jam. But I feel like Terminator was big no. because I remember I remember watching it and having no idea what it would be about and just being like, "Wow, mm. yo, this is this Man. is bogged out." Yo, when he ripped the car seat in out in the, in the mall and and drove away, what the yo? I was really bugged out. When he I took the me. eye, when he took the eye out, was one of those moments when it was like. I don't know. It sounds ridiculous now, but I just remember thinking, wow, I can't like kind of like poltergeist. I remember watching as a little kid in Zimbabwe and when the maggots are in the steak, it was like the most gross thing that I'd ever seen in my life. Um, I would say those are some movies that really resonated a lot when my childhood or were memorable was um, as well as my mom really liked like movies a lot um and we watch stuff like uh i remember watching um this movie the mission with robert de niro my mom really liked um it was kind of about uh how the church abetted colonialism and the decimation of native americans uh in south america it was a good movie um I remember watching that where like Robert De Niro was a slave trader and then he becomes a priest and then he sees how the church is. Yeah. Yeah. He sees how the church is abusive to the native indigenous people. I remember that. I don't know. It's a lot of movies from that era that, that really had a strong impact, but I would say Terminator would be pretty early in terms of a movie that I just thought, wow, this is really not just, oh, there's lots of action and shooting, but like, oh, this is really good. And I watched it a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, Terminator is, I feel, I, yeah, like, I feel like that's the type of movie that just like transcends, it transcends everything. It transcends generations and genre. And just like, I feel like everyone has a sort of like quintessential Terminator experience, whether it's with the first one or any of the later ones, which are all mostly trash. <laughs> But like, <laughs> and movies where I saw women's and movies where I saw naked women yeah. um, before my mom could do anything about it. So a good one would be Trading Places. I remember seeing that not only being like, wow, this is a hilarious movie, right? Um, but uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was topless in an yeah. early scene when she takes Dan Aykroyd back to her house and then she's changing her clothes and he's like, can see into the bathroom. Uh -huh. And I remember being like, 
oh wow yeah yeah i All mean same. I I like I, I, she had such a short and haircut at the time was memorable to me mm. as uh oh a woman has a haircut that short but i remember that movie yeah movies wow. where there were naked people also. Porkies. <laughs> Memorable. <laughs> I couldn't get that. Yeah, Porkies was hard All to get porkies. your hands on. Porkies yeah. was hard to get your hands on. What I do remember is once renting the movie. I was a little kid in Zimbabwe, and I rented the movie Barbarella. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, um, um, I don't know if you know what movie that is, but it's I a pretty, um, pretty, pretty bizarre, se- like, 70s sci-fi Sex movie with that Jane Fonda. That's a Jane Fonda movie, yeah. I, yeah, I yeah, just saw it in college. Uh, that movie's crazy. So I rented, I, I got a copy of Barbarella. I was probably like eight or something. And I realized, and I watched it. My mom thought it was, you know, it was like this weird sci fi movie. She didn't watch it. I didn't even know what it was going to be. And then I watched it, and then I must have watched the movie like eight times in a row. Or whenever nobody was around, because there was so much naked people in it. <laughs> yeah, I used to go to my grandparents' house on the weekends, and they had cable. And I remember, like Friday night, um, maybe like, I don't know, maybe like after ten o'clock, it'd be like uh, the USA Channel, and they had <laughs> they had movies on all night. I remember like Elvira. Elvira was like, yeah. whole, like up all night. She was like up all night, and like USA she was, up all night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would just be like really silly movies and like usually like like that's probably the first place I saw weird science, you know, going back to titties again. Right. Uh, yeah, all the bad 80s movies, all the summer camp movies, you know, porkies and things. Yeah. Tight. Shout out, shout out to shout out to uh, uh shout out to Elvira, because yeah, um uh, my girlfriend yeah. and I just watched her first movie for the first time like four or five months ago. And it's just like, <laughs> like you, you, you know, just, just like on top. USA of- rode that train for a long time. They did they really did ride that train for a minute? Yeah. They had a person after Elvira got too big or whatever happened. I'm trying to remember her name. They had another woman after that to host their like soft, soft core porn movie yeah. nights. So 80s. I can't even remember what. Oh, that's, that is the 80s vibe. <laughs> yeah, but then it went all the way through the 90s. Yeah, and like. And USA was just like, I remember in the 90s, they had. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was. Um, I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say that she's that she's still doing her thing. She likes to like host a. She has like a stream or like some sort of like channel that she does things on. It's actually kind of cool just to see her still moving. But mm. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. That was more interesting than what I was going to say, anyway. But yeah, I guess those would be some of my those would be some of my early memorable movies. Star Wars one would be in there. I definitely remember seeing Terminator and being, you know, because Star Wars you kind of knew that oh this is great movie. Whereas like Terminator, I thought I was just getting a regular kind of action movie thing, and it ended up being something else. I, I remember that really strongly. Yeah, it's always it's always really interesting to think about the movies that leave an impact on you, even 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 if it's like yeah, because like sometimes it doesn't even have to be like a specific movie. It could even just be like what Lucic was talking about, which is like the experience of just like eating the food and being in a dark room with people. But like, but like, 
but yeah stuff like stuff like that and like seeing the seeing like the varied seeing like the varied palette that you were going through woods is very like that's just such a like especially being outside of the states when that happened and kind of like using that as as like a as like a vessel to kind of go back home in a way is so um that's really intriguing to me i like that yeah and when we would come here also i had um most of my jamaican family lived in new york and i had one aunt who was the biggest al pacino fan she loved al pacino so much and she would have me watch all the old 70s um i remember man i watched all of those movies like serpico um panic in needle park which actually showed uh, people that's... shooting up yeah um what's the one with the uh it's in the it's sort of an early movie in the um using the idea of a serial killer in the gay leather scene and New York in the seventies. Um, what is the name of the movie? And Al Pacino goes undercover as mm. a guy who just frequents these uh gay S and M bars. Jesus oh. Christ, why can I not remember the name? It's it's not a particularly good movie, but it is famous. It's called Cruising. And this is it's Cruising, called- exactly. Okay. This is all in the heat of Al Pacino's really the meat of his career. Serpico, um, Dog Day Afternoon. She loved that movie, uh, and I remember I remember things like that. And my mom, strangely, but it's not that strange because I think Jamaicans of a certain age were exposed to a lot of American westerns, definitely, both as books and in movies. And my mom really liked and the music western, <laughs> yeah. And so you know, I watched I watched a lot of like I remember watching Pale Rider. Um, and thinking that movie was really, really good and watching uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly when I was a little kid. Uh, not really so much the John Wayne stuff, but the Sergio Leone stuff and some of the other, some other Westerns kind of from that time. I never really watched any John Wayne ones. That and James Bond, because people don't really, I don't know how many people know that Ian Smith was, a, uh, Ian Smith, I got the wrong guy, Ian Fleming. It's like uh, lived his most of his life in Jamaica, and um, my mom really liked Bond, so I also watched all those early Bond movies: uh, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, whatever. I had no, I had no idea about Ian Fleming. That's that's crazy. Like, was he? Was he? Yeah, he has how he has a house. His, the Ian Fleming house is in Jamaica. It's like, um, it's not a monument or whatever, but it's a thing. Right. Uh, kind of like Hemingway's house in where's Hemingway's house? Cuba? I don't remember. I feel like somebody told me Hemingway's old house is like a landmark and that there's tons of cats. All his old cats just continue to live there and reproduce. Yeah. So it's like full of cats. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> what a hater. I mean, some people are just bad people. What can you do? Gosh! Everybody, everybody who hates cats is a bad person. <laughs> Pretty much. Implications simple, here. Simple, simple criteria. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. Like. Yeah. You know, like while you were growing up, was there ever a period of time where you consciously linked 
music and film together in your head? Probably not unless you were talking about when I was a teenager and I was more into music and movie soundtracks became a bigger thing commercially for all parties. And so there were some things like, I remember buying the Judgment Day movie soundtrack before I ever saw the movie just because, you know, it had all of these Daylaw had a song with Mud Honey or whatever, and which was a great song. Yeah, Boy, it was on there. Rap, rap, remember. Stuff, right? Yeah, there were a couple of good records on there though, and also of course, like that's the that's the era in which more more movies start coming out with rap music and hip hop in the soundtracks. Hip hop's getting more popular, so you know, buying soundtracks. I don't know, Soul in the Hole, that era. Other than that. I don't know if I ever even consciously thought a lot about movie scores until I was much older. Mm. You know, and then you realize, oh, there's a score that's really iconic and that's adding to what's happening. But Right. I want to come back to that, but I also want to, um, um, Elusive, what about you? Like, like, was there ever a period uh, of time? I'm not really sure. I kind of didn't understand the question, but when you mentioned the score thing, I mean, that's very recent for me in the past, you know, five years like thinking about scores and I think to just, you know, just getting into more into like music production for myself um, and the type of sounds that I'm attracted to um, and the, you know, some of the more experimental things, less beat things that I make, then I began to see like the parallels with film and how that thing can actually sort of happen. And I think the first time that happened was um, I made Bernadette which was just like, uh, you know, I found this this old film, this super, this, I forgot the name of the people who did it. It was a burning car. It was a burning car for 15 minutes um, from the lighting to the time when it just, just collapses. And uh, yeah, I scored it, <laughs> you know? So that's a, that's a very recent sort of like realization for myself and like noticing that connection where I fit within uh, music and film, sure. Right. I should go back and watch that again, man. I haven't. I remember peeping that when you put it out. Yeah. I feel like there were a lot of moving parts right then. Mm -hmm. And I haven't gone back to check it out. I should rediscover mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think, I don't think, I, I don't think I've seen it actually. I'm not even, I'm not even mm -hmm. going to lie. I'm not even yeah. going to lie. Yeah. This, co this cover this is, is dope, pre, uh, Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, you're on the Googles. Yeah. You're doing the Googles. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh wait! Oh yeah! Nah, this is crazy. I like this cover a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go run this. Oh, oh, yeah. I see the short film. Cool. So, like at this point, like you guys are still growing up and getting more and more into music, and of course, like you both have, you both have pretty extensive discographies outside of each other. But um, how did you two first meet? Uh, at a live show, uh, Woods was putting together a show with someone else by the name of Uncommon NASA. They had a Yule Prague show. It's like the annual New York City. Yeah, it's an annual New York City, like, uh, it's like kind of like a festival, man. It was so many rappers. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But I got I got booked to play that. And um, yeah, I met Woods there at, at the show. Yeah. It was NASA who booked him and who really put me on to Elusive's music. Um, we would do this festival together. Uh, and NASA always really kept his ear to the street. 
the web, whatever. He always he was one of the first people to ever approach me as far as a peer or somebody better known than me being like, Hey, I like what you're doing. And so years later, he's like, Hey, this guy's really good. We should have him headline. I said, okay. And, um, I didn't really check the music out until the show and I watched the performance and was like, wow, this is great. And I talked to lucid afterwards and then I went home and, uh, I saw one video shot by this guy, Ali, frequent collaborator with Lucid um, uh, for automatic writing. And I was like, wow, this is incredible, incredible song, great video, want to work with this person. You know, you know what's crazy? One of the first shows I ever saw you two perform was at the very last Yul Prague show, like the mm. very last one he did. Um, I forget what year it was, but you two performed, uh, Denmark Vesey went up, uh mm -hmm. Spencer went up. I can't remember the rest of the bill. It was it was a lot of people on that bill. But that was that was one of the first I remember it. Yeah. That yeah, was I think that was the last one we did. Yeah. That that was that was that yeah, like that was a really good show. And I remember that was the first time. Um that was the first time I don't think that I don't think that was the first time I've been exposed to the two of you, but like that was the first time where I like where it really hit me like wow like seeing you two work together on stage like that was really incredible and uh you know it it uh it inspired me to dig further so yeah shout out to nasa because he really really did incredible work with the yule prog i had only been to the one but like but like just knowing just knowing the work he put into it and hearing what you just said about that is really that's remarkable so fire yeah. yeah, good to hear. Shout out NASA. Shout out NASA for real. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to be totally clear, it was a collaborative thing. Um, Yule Prague, we kind of went 50-50 on them, but NASA definitely was the one who took on more of the role of finding the talent. You know, right. he knew more about what was going on. Um. But yeah, those were cool. I mean, it was very stressful to do, and I'm glad. I think both he and I were glad when they stopped. Yeah. But um, it was his idea, and he had the type of ambition to try and do something like that. It's crazy, because I think the first one we did was two nights back-to-back. -back. I don't even know how he convinced me to do that with different lineups. I think we did that once at Galapagos or whatever it changed its name to. And then we were like, all right, never again. Mm. Yeah, right. I think the last one was at uh, Drum. I think the last one was at Drum, if I remember correctly. It was at Drum. Yeah. Yep, it was. Uh, shout out to Drum. I saw, I saw, uh, um, I saw this really, I saw this really crazy um, uh, drag queen wrestling show there last year maybe it was in 2019 i forget me and my where's the stage is the stage like on the dance floor i guess or it's, where's the ring i mean the the ring the ring was like elevated up on the stage and like that's wild oh, okay. that's a small <laughs> it, was, ring. it, was, it yeah. was so wild Ugh. It, was, <laughs> it was such a good time like like yeah, like all the queens were just like everybody had their own special moves and their own intro music, and they it was just it was uh, fantastic. It was dope. 
That is dope. That is dope. Woods, you remember that show that we we played in what was it Rhode Island? I believe it was yeah, Rhode Island. for whatever we yeah. went up there, it was a snowstorm. It was like a wrestling theme show. So they had the wrestling ring set up. They had wrestlers there. They were like like deer uh, like a bucket of deer hearts. There was like a woman like spraying water and stuff like out of like, I don't know, she had some contraptions like on her nipples. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was like a guar show. Yeah, it was really set up to be sort of a vaudeville circus like yeah. atmosphere of different acts. Like I think there were two rappers, uh um, a burlesque dancer, um, a wrestler, someone else who was doing stuff like maybe hammering nails into their um, there was a nail hammer face guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then, but we came up for the show and it snowed. It just, as we were going up there on the, it, it just turned into a giant snowstorm. And by the time we got, you know, not many people attended. And by Three. the time we got out, we basically had to scramble for a place to stay. Um, and shout out to Telecine, uh, Telecine and uh, the producer Telecine. Yeah. His mom was not even in town and yeah. he was in Brazil. And right. he got us a, he got us the keys to her house and we stayed in there and it was so everything was so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Liquor cabinet was expansive. <laughs> Beds and couches were comfortable and uh I will not soon forget that hospitality. That was a good so we got out of the show and it was like the show was at like ten percent capacity, so five. <laughs> it was feeling a little it was feeling a little bleak um but yeah anyway wow <laughs> that's really that's that's really the type of yeah stuff. not as good as your uh as your drag queen wrestling match in uh the east village i i i think i think i think they're about comparable that's 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 really nice either way <laughs> i'm fucking with that um so like so like as a duo like one of the things that's always been so attractive about your music is like you're like the way like the way both of you rap it just like your styles complement each other so well like like one of the things that always sticks out to me is that like hearing the like hearing the both of you rap like it almost like it almost feels like you guys are like reading off a shot list you know like something that's like extremely descriptive but like also but also like cryptic and just uh, just slightly out of arm's reach enough in a way that makes you really want to like lean in and listen. Like there's just like like there's just so much detail and so much vivid imagery to the things that you guys talk about. Um, and I was and and like and like especially on like your later projects, um, like shrines and even even Haram, like it almost feels like your verses kind of like run at a parallel. So like I guess I was just wondering like as a duo like 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 what's your writing process like when you guys are making music as Arm and Hammer like do you write verses together and like consciously attempt to have them run parallel to each other or does it just kind of like come out that way because like you both are kind of runs like, a gamut runs a gamut mm. probably more the latter than the former but I'm sure you could find songs on albums where we talked in detail. Or exchange, you know, somebody was like, here's what I've written. And the other person, and other songs where it's like, 
all we had was a title, you know, and it was barely talked about at all. Um, so my personal opinion would be that it totally runs the gamut. It's not, yeah, there definitely. is no one way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is no one way. Um, yeah, it's all that, all that it would say. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And like, and yeah, like in that way, um, I would say like more than any other, uh, any other rap duo I can think of, we both kind of act as like writers and directors of like your own scenes within these songs. Like just seeing, just like seeing the interplay is just really, really, really interesting to me. And I wanted to, uh, um, I, um, I wanted to run through like really quickly uh, you guys' albums, like as a duo and try to see if there was, and like try to see if there was any uh any specific like like influences that came from movies or film while you were making them if that's cool y'all Word. so like yeah. so like let's take it back to the beginning and like talk to me about race music like was there any like what was like what was going on while you guys were creating race music and like were there any like outward film influences just like in the way you were writing or just like anything that comes to mind in that regard? Hmm. Uh, I think as far as how we were working together, I think we were really getting to know how we work together and we were trying a lot of things and bringing things together from our different worlds and seeing what works. Um, And some stuff works better than other stuff. Um, But I think there's a lot of great stuff on that record. Um, Film references, for me to really come up with anything right now except for Nosferatu but um but uh yeah what was that movie we sampled and it was talking about um it was talking about the guy he was like working on a train and um, oh oh of course John Voight yeah yeah that was a really good one the best moment of his whole career yeah (laughs) Best moment of his whole career. That movie, Jesus Christ, it's a very, it's a very famous movie, and I keep wanting to call it Runaway Train, but I'm not sure if that's what it's called. Yeah, and the one guy is like, "Fuck a job. When I get back, I'm gonna keep doing what I've been doing." Yeah, you were right. Nah, you were right. That is Runaway Train. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you eating right now? I know I really shouldn't be eating all up in the phone right now. No, it's fine. I, I had a wing. Y'all didn't even know. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I suspect my snacking is not as uh, stealthy. <laughs> um, I'm eating Thai food. Yeah, I don't. But what though? But what? Oh, it's a it's a Penang, it's a Penang curry. It's actually really good. It's a green joint, right? Ooh. The beef Penang curry. True. And. Uh, and before that, I had a, a, a curry chicken pop. Sounds good. Spicy. It's good. Never so. go wrong with chicken curry ever. Mm-mm. So talk to me about um, talk to me about furtive movements. Like what was uh, like were there any like outward film influences and or references um on furtive movements that kind of stick out to you guys? I'm not. I'm not so sure for myself. Um, and it's probably rare that it actually kind of incorporates itself that way. It's like film as a, a direct reference. If I'm referencing like movies, probably something that I've grown up seeing, you know? But yeah, it's an interesting way to think about the music and, and how I, I'm kind of lacking 
in that area, thinking about like film inspiration for music. Uh, I feel it. It's just, like it's just like it's really it's really just the way you guys put scenes together, mm. like like you in particular, elusive, like <laughs> like the like the both of you, but like I just uh, there are so many moments, like like th- like there's one moment. At, um, it's actually on Woods' hiding places. It's the beginning of Crawl Space. The way you describe those black kids tumbling off the bus <laughs> at like the Universal Circus Cloud Car, like that's just like I can see that in my head, and it looks and it looks like uh, um, <laughs> you ever see the cartoon Wayne Head before? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that was. That Wayne Head. <laughs> Man. That was dope. <laughs> that shit ran yeah, for man. I feel like I, you know, I feel like it was Ice. Or who said it? John Singleton said it's Ice Cube. I guess right before Ice Cube started making movies, or this was the inspirational quote that I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna start making movies." Like, yo, you, you're such like a descriptive like rapper, like you're a great rapper. Why don't you just start making movies? It's the same thing, you know what I mean? I seeing that, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I don't know. I like I like short stories. I like poetry. The results showed how wrong John Singleton was. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I guess John Singleton wasn't a very good director either. Uh, so it's all right. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, is that not fact? Man. These are factual statements. Listen, Listen man. I went and I saw, I went and saw, um, I went and saw higher education in the theater. Higher learning? Higher learning. Higher learning in man. the theater. And bad. about 40 minutes in, I was like, this is, this guy isn't good. This is the end of the guy's career, right? Damn. Wow, that movie was bad. In the 90s, cats got a lot of, they got a lot of spins, you know? <laughs> I mean, not that lots of people no. made bad movies. I'm not trying to single. Nah, sure, uh, but it was also his timing. Timing was on his side. Timing was on his side as well. You know, the 90s, there was so much money. So many black independent film directors that were just like doing shit, good, bad, and indifferent movies, you know? It's like a gold rush, it just seemed like. Yeah, and also when you hit with that first movie, you know, in retrospect, even if you go back, Boys in the Hood is not a very good movie. <laughs> it's not perfect, that's perfect. For sure. Unpopular you're, you're, you're opinions viewed, with Billy Woods. Impartially, it is not only not a very good movie, but it's rife with. It's rife with some pretty, like, basic cliches. And the main thing was that we had just never seen Black people get to be in those positions and portrayed in that way. So it was exciting and new. And also, as a young person, it spoke at the time. It spoke directly to the reality that I thought surrounded me and my, you know, it spoke to that generation at that time. And and so it was was breaking fresh ground. But... um, Not you know, it's not that good of a movie. Some of the writing is pretty bad. The, the 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 way that people are broken down. Every all of the characters in the movie are essentially archetypes or kind of cutouts of a different viewpoint. Yeah, nothing against John Singleton, but yeah, it's not great. Great movies. Also, the kid actors aren't good, which kind of hurts. Like it hurts. It hurts like the first half hour of the movie, cause like, cause, cause, cause there's like a couple of those kids that I was like, nah, <laughs> nah, nah, nah. But I've seen this in forever. I gotta go back. I haven't seen this in so long. 
I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the mom and she's obviously favorite. I don't know. A lot of the stuff was, was just very obvious. But I give him credit for being putting that up there and taking the risk that got him to there. But if you even look at, um, not that the Hughes brothers are Spike, were Spike Lee or anything, but if you look at the difference between Menace to Society in terms of the, even just the shots, how it's shot and lit mm-hmm. is just better dialogue um, i feel it because because like because like to me personally there's no there's no scene in boys of the hood that's as iconic as the opening scene in menace to society like O dog in the O dog in the in, in the store like that whole scene is just like laser etched into my brain just the way it was just like you were saying the way it was shot it's just and like and like that movie like the ending of menace to society just Boys in the Hood kind of imp- like, I mean, I mean, like we see things happen in Boys in the Hood, and like, and and like, and like the movie ends on like the title cards where it was like, oh, like Ice Cube was gonna go do this, and he died two weeks later, but like, then Menace to Society just like ends with a dead body, and it's just very like, so like, I, so like I could definitely agree that Menace to Society is like a more direct and probably I. Like I don't want to say compelling because I think they're both compelling movies. I really like Boys in the Hood, but like that's just interesting. You're really making me think about this right now, <laughs> man. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is go back and watch it. It's just not not a particularly great movie. Oh man, yeah, I I, I actually did watch it pretty recently. Um, yeah, yeah, like they're um this um the scene where they um right right after Ricky gets shot um his uh his girlfriend wife whoever and 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 like she's holding their baby and she lets out this like terrible fake scream that's like man like you y'all really couldn't record a second take like that was awful like please (laughs) i like i mean there just aren't and the cinematography wise there just aren't very many shots in the movie worth talking about whereas you could find a bunch of them in boys in the hood i mean in menace to society I think the swap meet in Boys in the Hood was really well shot, personally. But All right, I'll have to go back and check that out. I could believe it. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really did like the swap meet. But um, although it's funny though, you know, now you're making me remember. I actually didn't, you know, if I was to answer honestly, I would say that um, I kind of really got into rap music because of the fact that, or my first real exposure to sort of discovering i'd obviously heard hip-hop music before but my first real exposure to developing my own interest in rap specifically was uh moving back to this country when i was a kid and seeing um do the right thing Mm. and uh so obviously they're playing public enemy during the movie but then at the end on the video on the DVD, no, video, on the VHS tape or whatever, they had a video at the end of um, Fight the Power that Spike shot like in the streets of Brooklyn. Um, and it was like a big rally in the street. Um, must have been shot from like a, not a crane, but something like that. Um, and they were all just sort of marching in the streets, rapping and there's a huge crowd of people and man, I was like, this is incredible. You know, I felt like the movie was incredible. I felt like 
that song was incredible and then that video literally made me be like i have to get this and so then first opportunity i got i uh walked to kemp mill music and mm. aspen hill and bought uh asked for the public enemy record and without really checking the track listing i bought uh what was it maybe it takes a nation of millions and um got home only to discover that fight the power is not on that album oh, yeah. um it's and it was on the album that was right? going to come out fear of a black planet but uh that hadn't even i don't think it had even dropped yet um and uh but then i fell in love with uh nation of millions and um it had all the lyrics printed in the in the j card for the cassette this is like cassettes you know um and so i just sat there listening to it and reading the lyrics and that's really how that was when my um my love affair with rap music and hip-hop really like started so i guess and i should have said that in the answer to your earlier question that's it's all good that's that's incredible and uh fun fact actually do um fight the power was made specifically for do the right thing like i know i know then they backed then they were like oh we got to put this on the album yeah that's that's i love that story because like that like i mean like, i'm like i wasn't no i wasn't alive when that movie came out but like that's just such a moment like reading reading stuff like that and like and like everybody knows fight the power like that's such a like that's such a i don't like using this word too often but that's such an iconic song like that's like a staple you know and just to one day just learn like oh like that 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 was made for a movie like that's that might even be one of my earliest memories where like when i first saw it and i learned that i was like damn like that might have been one of my moments where i kind of thought about how music and film were linked in that way because i also grew up on a lot of rap soundtracks and just like finding rap songs that i really loved on movie soundtracks so yeah that's really crazy um Elusive, I, I actually want to come back to what you were saying about uh, short stories, because um, obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different interpretations and ways to pull that out of the way you write. So, like, how would you say that you've been inspired by short stories in your writing? Um, I think um, just like the brevity of things and just trying to like uh, maybe Barack says something about like economy of language i remember he's feeling that as hearing that as like a, like a teenager like just starting out rhyming and just like that really like it hit me and just like i don't need to like spend you know so much time um trying to lock in and convey an idea i should know what i'm talking about if i'm going to deliver it to someone that i can like wrap, wrap it up in a way that's just like yo i got you on that first hit you know um, and I think that's kind of how even my rap name Elucid even sort of like derived from and, um, well, yeah, yeah. Like, and it's really wild that you say that because, um, whenever, I, like, like, like whenever I hear you rap, uh, mm -hmm. I was, I, I was just thinking about this yesterday and just trying like, and like, like, just like trying to put it into words. Like it almost... Like it almost it almost sounds like you're trying to describe images from an encyclopedia from memory, like mm. just 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 like putting, just just like so like like there's so much knowledge there's so much knowledge in the way you spit, 
and like you manage and, and you're like and you're like, you saying that you managed to like condense it in a way that like you're delivering it to people in a way that they can like unfurl on their own like that's such a literary like it's both a literary technique and like a cinematic technique and i think it's really interesting how those two things can kind of meet in the middle you know because like because like i see what you're saying but the words are just kind of like tumbling in my head as well and like what yeah. you're the same way like, it's like uh it's like uh you know i mean people you know, people for a long time for solo work and also with Armand Hammer work, people have always said things about like, oh, it's it's dense, it's uh, it's cryptic, and I don't, you know, that's you know, to each their own with their interpretation. You know, every, no one, we don't all come from the same places, we don't all have the same experiences, we don't all, you know, do the same thing. So like when I'm drawing from my own experience and my own vision, my own you know interactions with people, my own lessons. You know, yeah, it may sound strange to someone someone else, but for me, I'm just mining myself and just like compiling it. And, you know, in a record, it's just, a, you know, a mind in motion for me, you know? Um, I, I rarely like start off and like, this song is about this, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, go ahead. No, no, um, I feel it, you know? And, I, and yeah, like, I don't necessarily think it's fair that uh, either of your music is kind of described as like cryptic or anything, because that's a really great point about, um, that's a really great point just about like every, everyone has different experiences and different reference points. And like, you know, what makes sense to you might not necessarily, it, it's, it's yeah. just like- it, so For what's, for what's coded to you is just like every day for me. Exactly. Just, you might be so unfamiliar with what I'm saying. It's just like, you know, Ghostface, you know, the king of that right like ghost <laughs> ghost's slang was so next level you know but i guess for him and for people he was around this was how we talked this is how we understood each other but for everyone else it just kind of sounded like gibberish you know what's a ravioli bag exactly like you know you know what i mean it's a total drug reference missed by people who just not walking with them you know exactly yeah like yeah. and well, i feel like to Sorry. play devil's advocate though yeah Ghostface was cryptic to his peers. So to a certain extent, you know, I don't want to, I don't disagree with the lucid, but I also think, um, and sometimes I think there are other words than cryptic that could also be used. Uh, but it's like, David Lynch's movies are not like other people's movies. Since we're talking about movies, you know what I mean? It's not just like, oh, well, he has a different piece. Obviously, he's eschewing certain sort of movie-making tropes and things that are part of, sto you know, uh, storytelling um, that if you do away with some of them can leave people surprised, thrown off, put off, confused, because we're used to absorbing something in a particular way, you know? Um, like, if you're if you're watching a David Lynch movie, it wouldn't be strange, and you've never seen one before, to be like, hold up, what? Or who? Or I'm confused. But if you're used to it, then you know that, um, and again, this isn't how I feel about my music, but you know that there's aspects of it that you're not going to be able to just sit down and be like, it, this is the plot. In David Lynch's movie, this is what everything meant, and this is what happened. Right. Nah, totally. You know what I mean? 
you can't just say, oh, I, I know exactly what happened in Lost Highway. I mean, I'm sure David Lynch does, maybe. Oh, yeah. But other than him, I don't believe anybody who is like, I know exactly everything that happened. Or I know exactly everything. And, and the same way, I think that, um, well, I think that there's a code, and it definitely, for me, Ghostface was somebody who, I used to be like, what's he talking about? Even before that, like, I got Iron Man. I thought it was cool, but it didn't blow me away. And then Board Omega was the one who was like, yo, this is how to listen to Ghostface, basically, you know, without saying it like that. And it changed everything, and it became one of my favorite MCs. But there's still an aspect in which, like, Ghost, at his height, is pursuing oblique and unorthodox ways of doing things. And no one person could really tell me, like, oh, I know everything that Ghost is saying or exactly what that reference meant, but that doesn't, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, and he's yeah. rapping at the same time as DMX and Jay-Z. And, I mean, even at that time, I remember you'd be, some people would be like, man, I'm not listening to Ghost, man. He said Wolverine, Wolverine and Carnation Milk. <laughs> you remember that? Somehow that sticks in my mind. There was somebody who once said to me, man, when I heard him say Wolverine and Carnation Milk, I cut it off. (laughs) That's cool. And I was like, you know, some people just aren't willing to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of films, to keep it on films, I remember um, I remember when I was at uh, when I was at Howard University, I was like, yo, I had all these dudes that I smoked. We would smoke in my room. A lot of people would hang out and watch movies, whatever. And um, I got Space Odyssey 2001 because a bunch of people had never seen it, you know? Um, and um, and so I was like, yo, you guys should watch this. Rolled up, put it on. Uh, it was a real education for me in the fact that, like, if people are not ready to watch a movie where, which begins with like 30 minutes with no dialogue, 25 minutes with no dialogue, if you've never seen anything like that or been in that, I mean, I basically I had an insurrection on my hand, regardless of the amount of weed we were smoking and had to cut it off. Mm. Because the first 25, 30 minutes of that movie is, there's no dialogue. There's the apes with the the monolith and then there's the then there's the classical music with the spacecrafts and like i literally couldn't get them to watch through that man yeah i couldn't get them to watch through it and it's like yeah if people aren't if people aren't prepared and you're like hey watch this movie the average person is going to be like that was really bizarre yeah and 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 most of the time bizarre is putting it nicely because <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 nah yeah. that just made me shut it down yeah and like and like that's almost like that's almost what makes it special because you know of course like somebody like stanley kubrick is not like stanley kubrick is he has different language than someone like david lynch david lynch is different from someone like terrence malick or like lars von trier or like michael bay even like like everybody has their own way of looking at things and like that's like that's almost what makes listening to music regardless of how accessible it is that's what makes it so as it makes me that's what makes me listening to music so special for me and like even somebody like Ghostface like 
like like like I'll never forget the quote where he just said that like he just put together words that sounded good, you know? Like there was no like especially with an album like Supreme Clientele, since we're gonna go to Ghostface, like yeah, like 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 we all know the story. Like Clientele was made while he was like just like chilling in a hut in Africa and he was just and he was just like zonked off all the time. They were in a hotel, man. Oh. They didn't leave if they left the hotel grounds besides right. to buy weed, I would be shocked. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the funny thing about things like that is I feel like I've heard Ghost say everything because I feel like at a certain point it sounds ridiculous now. But in my opinion, there was a point where he was kind of put off by the fact that his creativity in a time when rappers were just blowing the doors off sales kind of had, I don't know, I feel like people didn't fully appreciate ghost he didn't have a lot of hits um obviously he had um uh tommy matola what is it yeah off the I forget the name of that off song. supreme clientele that was a big yeah. record um i can't remember that and you know but in, in general i felt I, I i i mean i don't know him to speak but i always felt like in part although supreme clientele was a creative peak for him or one a peak of sorts i feel like he got he got he didn't want to return or delve deeper into that world after that because it seemed like it wasn't creating as commercially viable a product as his peers who were going you know quadruple platinum and j dmx you know everything else that's going on at that time because he definitely his work became less oblique moving forward from that point, which would be surprising if you thought about, oh, in retrospect, this is your big album. Right. Yeah. You know, like after that, you still get creative stuff and stuff that's out there, but you get less. Things are more straight. The the, the, the delivery and the topics and the way he talks about things is much like more just, straightforward. He just found a niche for himself that existed before but that now is just like you had he was on major labels and it was able to be like on a mass scale like he's doing record he started doing records with beyonce yeah he became like that r&b rap guy neo you know what i mean like all those things were just hits straight hits you know for a certain i mean he had those songs on he had that on iron man because he has a song with uh all that i need she got elevated man like he was able to still have these deals and you know these albums are because of those records, not because of records like Run or like um, man, what's what? Uh, See, even Flowers, Run, I feel like Run Flowers. is not an album. What's the record he's rapping about? The Sun. What's the record he's rapping? The Sun. All those records are like ill, ill records, ill records. But like those weren't keeping the lights on at a label. You know what no, I mean? No, but this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. I think that after Supreme Clientele, not talk because Supreme Clientele had maybe his biggest commercial hit too. He was able to do that. He had all that I need. He he was able to do those crossover to some extent. He was able to do those joints both before and after that. But when I think about um, he continued to rap creatively, but he definitely, uh, I feel like more and more moved away from really difficult language wordplay. I can, you know what I mean, when you see his work after that, there's, I just feel like there's less things where it's like, well, I don't know 
where you might be like, I'm not sure on first listen what anything in this song was. Yeah. I figured he just got bored with the style. Like, as a fan, I thought he just got bored with the style. Or he was getting old. After one album, and then made several albums with the... I feel like after that, he just gradually was like more and more he still was creative and he would think of songs and ideas other people wouldn't do but I feel like he he shied away from like things that people might refer to as oh word salad or he's just saying a bunch of words right yeah because like yeah because like the first album that comes to mind for me that wouldn't really be like that is like fish scale like fish scale isn't supreme clientele like bulletproof wallets though you yeah, guys are naming yeah. the the sun and song, songs like that but tell me a song on bulletproof wallets where it's like yo is this guy just saying words and i know yeah. he wasn't just saying words of but course yeah it's not even like that on bulletproof wallets the songs are either um you know somewhat somewhat cryptic gangster rapture i i just feel like he didn't do that language wise after that point he didn't have songs like um like one and apollo kids Mm-hmm. Like when I first heard Apollo Kids, I was like, "What? It what? <laughs> you know what I mean?" It's like, <laughs> but it sounded good, it right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it sounded great, and I think those records are great. I just think it was interesting. Sometimes you see somebody have uh, have success, but the surrounding, you know, if Ghostface had been the best-selling rapper in hip hop at that time or close to it, I feel like he would have pushed that style more. Or if the commercial the level of commercial expectations were not as high as they became in the 1990s where it's like your record going platinum was like okay people were making ridiculous by then people were just you know hip-hop was really like the biggest thing and you know a gold record was a failure straight up right yeah like and yeah like and yeah like to even and 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 like to go back like before we move on like to go back to fish scale like just like all the work that he may or may or or, or, um all the work that he did with doom that like didn't necessarily wind up on his later projects like it's just crazy to think about where it's crazy to think about the stylistic change between something like bulletproof wallets and fish scale or like Supreme clientele and that. And like, then, and then, and then just to think that like, he was doing quite a bit of that over doom beats and like, 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 like on an album with a Neo and Kanye West feature, like, that's just, that's just really, that's also really interesting to me. And, 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 and like, I keep on bringing up fish scale because that was one of like, that was one of my first real like connections with a Ghostface album. Mm. Like that was, I love that album. I think that album's great. But um it aged really poorly. Yeah, kind of. But his I, best I, moments are still incredible and I mean I say all this with the as one of the few people who I think I would argue that there was a period of about 4 maybe 5 years where Ghostface was the best rapper out period. Mm. Or close to it. You know, right. him and Doom, maybe. There was a period, basically, after that that period before Supreme Clientele, when he had the mixtapes, No Pork on My Fork, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Bulletproof Darts, um, Cobra Clutch. Great record. Uh, yeah, like the J, the J Love mixtape, all the way through. If you, if you had, if he had, had been allowed to release the original version of Bulletproof Wallets with the sun and the watch on it, I mean, he rapped about his his watch hating on him 
That was my favorite shit. And even in that song, his watch is telling him, yeah, you don't, you don't ring bells upstate. You're not selling like X and Jigga. <laughs> yeah, what a crazy idea. What a crazy person to work with at that time. Imagine Elusive, I hit you up. I mean, like he must have hit Ray and been like, yo, so this song, my watch is hating on me, right? And you're going to rap as the watch. And I'm going to be arguing with you. It's ill. That's so ill. Ill, Ill idea. Ill, so many, so many ill ideas. And the fact that those uh, didn't actually end up on the, on the album um, was disappointing. Cause I think that that album would have been on the same sort of level uh, or close to it as Supreme clientele, although very different. Right. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, y'all are putting me on right now because I actually I haven't heard a lot of those, but like, like ghost. Yeah, that sounds like everything I want to hear. <laughs> good times, good times. You remember good times? What mixtape was that on? No, and he was just rapping over like a loop of the good part of the good times. Like the, all these uh, records, I feel like on. some of these records never actually made it out. So like they did it release. It's like mixtape songs, you know, that for whatever reason, sample clearance or whatever. He has so many of these like excellent records, which most people never heard unless they're doing the due diligence with like, you know, digital digging and things. Right. And that's like, and it, yeah, like, especially for someone like Ghostface, that's like crucial. And I've been yeah. thinking about that, like, especially in the wake of the verses that just happened, just to like, just go back and do some history real quick. Yo, did he do Cobra Clutch? Do you know that song? Well, of course, Cobra like, Clutch. Cobra Clutch is before Supreme Clientele. No, I'm saying for the verses. I don't. I don't think you saw the verses, Woods. Oh no, I didn't. Ray. Oh, him I and Ray this past weekend, and I came in there late, and I was like, I really wanted to hear him do Cobra Clutch. Damn. So I was, I was like, I was like in between. I was like in between places when the verses started. So like, I only caught a bit of it. So okay, I don't know if he did Cobra Clutch actually. Word, word. I wish I knew. Might have to go look it up. Um, but uh, before we get too off track, uh, let's talk about Haram because, like, first of all, congratulations! Like, the album is fantastic. Like, the shit is fire. Like, thank you, thank you. yeah, man. Like, thank you. Yeah, like truly, truly, truly. Like, um, I'm. Hey, I'm gonna ask you a question. Where is it on the skit? What's your early answer? Where is it? What album is it above, and what album is it below? Unless you oh. got it number one. The Arm and Hammer discography. Don't cop the plea, man. Let's go. I won't. I won't. <laughs> All right. So let's go. So right now, first imp- so I've heard the album twice at this point. So my first impression is that it's number three, right behind Shrines and Paraffin. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. We'll okay. see what happens as as time passes. That's very interesting. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was. Yeah, Hold yeah, on, that you was- got Shrines number one. Did I hear that right? No, Paraffin yeah. number one. Paraffin, paraffin number, one. number one, okay. Yeah, paraffin's, yeah, like it, it, it could, it could really be either paraffin or shrines at this point. But like, yeah, I'm, I'm just like those two have really been in a crazy rotation for me, and I can't wait to see where Haram fits within it because like there's just so much beautiful stuff to unpack on this album, and um. Sure, course, and I put you on the spot for sure. Obviously, you've listened to the album twice. No, nah, it's all good. No, no, no. That that's what that's what that's what shit like this is all about, you know? Like spontaneity and all that uh, all that good stuff. Um 
and of course, you know, like you two worked with Alchemist, like this album is fully produced by Uncle Alk, which is like also like congratulations on that because, you know, like he's Alchemist. <laughs> and uh, right. uh, <laughs> um, so like, of course, this is you guys' first project as a duo that's, or, or actually no, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is you guys' first project as a duo that was only produced by one person. Is that correct? Right? Correct. Like, mm-hmm. so that's a, uh, so like for you guys working with Alchemist, like what, like, like not even just working with Alchemist, but like working with one producer for the first time, like what would you say were the best and most challenging aspects of only working with one producer for an entire Arm & Hammer album? Hmm. I think just knowing like a consistency of sound, like going into it, kind of knowing what to expect, but not knowing what to expect because, you know, I expected one thing when I, when this first started like uh, boiling up, like I wanted a particular type of sound from Al. And uh, on the first couple batch of beats that I was getting, it wasn't that. And I was like, yo, I want blah, 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 blah. And he was like, no, I want to come into y'all world. I want to, I love what y'all do. I'm trying to like make some new things. So like, yeah, it was just like, I expected something and it wasn't that, but I love what I got, you know, as we kept, you know, the process moving and kept building on the record and just like, yeah, falling into like a pattern just knowing this consistency of like high level shit that he was sending us, man. It was wild, you know? Yeah. Um, just because I'm curious, what were you expecting coming into this? <laughs> I wanted, um, you know, like Al, Al has changed his sound so many times in the past 20 years. You know, he's always staying a step ahead and uh, just constantly innovating and like challenging himself. And um, I mean, I wanted those West Side Gun beats, man. <laughs> You know what I mean? I wanted the West Side Gun beat. I wanted he was giving like Boldy James. I wanted like that vibe, you know? What I wanted when he was giving uh Freddie Gibbs, but now we got something different. We got some different. We got we got Arm and Hammer like crafted beats, you know? Yeah. And uh yeah, I, I love it. I love it. And that's and that's like so special because like because like Al wanted to come to you guys. He wanted to come yeah. to your world. Like you had yeah. that. Nobody could take that from you. Yeah, like that shit was so encouraging, you know, just hearing him say so and just like, oh, yeah, I trust you. I've been trusting you, but it was like another level of like, damn, like admiration and trust, you know, and, and on, a, on a certain level, there was like a shared like admiration. Like he was fucking what we, what we do, you know, uh, very tight, very tight. That's incredible. Woods, what about you? Um, I think... Uh... I think the same thing that always happens when I was working with um, one producer for me is I always have an element of feeling like on the one hand, there's points in working where you're like, oh man, what if I want a beat like this or I get something like, and the fact that you can't makes you have to move a little differently sometimes, at least for me, makes me have to say, hey, you know what? Let me listen to this other beat again instead of just, you know, on something like Shrines, it's like working with producers, producers submitting things, producers you know you're reaching out to. Yeah, there was so many producers. And it's like, if something's working, if you like something, you know, 
one of us maybe pitches it to the other person or we both like it instantly, then it's just like off you go. Whereas um, when you're working with one producer, you know, like you could just be combing through beats till you get something that immediately catches your ear, you know, and you don't have to think about it. Whereas when you're working with one producer, sometimes you got to go back and sometimes those end up being some of your favorite joints later, you know, um, working with, Kenny Siegel on Hiding Places, there's beats where uh, I would have probably been like, ah, I don't know if that's like Houthi initially probably would not have been the first song that I would have just picked off of. a. That song never gets made if I'm just taking beats from whoever is select, sending beats. Not because it's not good, but it doesn't immediately sort of lead me somewhere but because it didn't it made me have to you know you're combing back or you go listen through the beats a second or third time or a particular day you sit down to write and you put it on and you say hey you know what i think i got something for this and the same way there were some of the joints with al where um it's like oh it's cool um but then you're like well i need to i need to write and this is what i'm working on and so you listen to the beats again and then you maybe hit a vibe on something or, or, or it forces you to some new ideas, you know, something like God's feet. Like I liked it. Um, would I have, and I'm the person who started rapping on that um, first, but part of it was the idea came to me and it was there. And you know what I mean? You have to, you have to get out of your comfort zone a little more. You can't expect the producer to just keep sending you packs of 10 beats every <laughs> few days, you know, with rare exceptions. Most of the time, especially somebody like Al, you're going to have to be like, let me listen through them again, you know? Let me listen to this one again. Or let me consider this one that I wouldn't initially. And that can take you places that are, that are really good, I think. For sure. Like, for me personally, like, like one song that I keep on coming back to because it's never what I would expect to hear on an Arm & Hammer project is Falling Out the Sky. Like, yeah. just just like just like that beat is just so smooth and hazy and just so um for lack of a better word it's and like put, put, put your boat shoes on for that man exactly like <laughs> like like for lack of a better word it's like slow you know like i don't always expect you guys to be like like it, it's it, it's like it's like it's like not really like rushed or hurried like it's just so relaxed yeah. and just to like hear y'all go and just like y'all are toasting like that's like that's like toasting music right there so it's really mm-hmm. like it like like you don't get something like that unless you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone especially for someone like al like you don't you don't second guess the alchemist most of the time like he's you know like his reputation precedes him just like it does for you guys but like just that's one of the things i love about this collab is like your music is always unpredictable but hearing the way that you three kind of pull surprises out of each other is so like, that's what I love about rap. You know, like I love it when people can kind of pull each other into their world, like a Gibbs and a Mad Lib or like a, or like a Metro Boomin and a 21 Savage, like just hear, just like y'all pull each other into your own worlds and create a new one in the process. Like that's what mm-hmm. Haram is to me. Fire, fire, and like, yeah, let's go. Thank you, <laughs> like, and um, I also noticed that Haram is one of the sh- is one of, is is one of your shorter projects to date too. Like, there's a couple songs on here that like aren't even two minutes long, which like I'm so used to like three four minute songs, 
from y'all. And I was wondering if that was like a thing you thought about while you were making that, or if it just kind of happened where there were some like shorter songs on here. I think it just, I think it just happened. I, I mean, I think we also, we do have, I think there's probably more here, um, but we do have, you know, from the Eucharist uh, to, um, what's your song on Shrines, The Sun? Solarium. Solarium um, to uh, alternate side parking on paraffin. Um, I feel like those things are always in in play. I don't I don't feel like it was thought about, you know, especially because there's some longer songs that were made that didn't that didn't make it, and nobody was exactly sure of everything that was making it till we were at the end. Right. So um, the fact that more short songs made it was more just that was what the album needed and called for once we started putting it together then um then we just planned it that way because of the of the songs that we recorded that didn't make the album almost all of them are you know two verses in a chorus or something mm-hmm. uh, i gotta always, let you know i gotta go in about five minutes go ahead i'm always with the shorter records man i love for me a sweet spot of a record is about 40 minutes and we nailed that on um on Haram Woods. Woods hates that. He, I know. I feel like I've tried. No, 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 like no, Every Arm and Hammer record, I'm like, yo, the record should be 45 minutes or less. And then he's like, no, no, add three more songs. No, false. First of all, <laughs> we do. I'm a businessman, right? I'm a businessman. If it's more than 44 minutes, we have to press a second piece of vinyl. You tell me when the last time backwards pressed two pieces of vinyl for an LP. That's not not that's including not. something with instrumentals. The last time I believe was no, not no. Mm. Wow. So there hasn't been an Arm and Hammer record that was over forty-four minutes since Race Music. Well, I, I'm trying to cut it down even shorter. So. I feel like I always want the shorter records. And was like, no, we need more. Pad it up. Pad it up. <laughs> no, there's no padding. Come on, man. This ten is, songs. This is, this is, this is, this is yeah, you did say ten songs, but that was arbitrary. You couldn't if you cut this, to, it would not be as good of a record. Period. <laughs> um, period. We would have to lose. We would have to lose. Certain, yeah, roaches don't fly. Would have to go. Robert Moses would have to go. Uh, anyway, I. But yes, forty minutes. Um, Lucid has always stretched. Shorter records are better, and. Um, both uh, market forces and um, his uh, market forces and um, and yeah, just the way we make albums have proven him right. Right. Um, I heard you say you got to go soon, so I have two more questions for you guys. Yeah, um, shoot. Um, Woods, in particular, you brought up the Eucharist earlier, and this is something I wanted to ask earlier, and I forgot. So, at the very end of the song, you call yourself the Dark Skin Van Peebles, and I wanted you to elaborate on that since this is movie town. Like, you called yourself. Um, oh well, I guess it was connected, so I have to think about the line before. But it's like, uh, it's Dark Skin Van Peebles made the rounds with the Watermelon Man sequel, right? Yep. That's it. I, I recently watched that movie for the first time. It's really good. It is a good <laughs> Hilarious, it yo. Is a good movie. It is a good movie. Um, I honestly think that the 70s, because obviously a lot of the 
you know, for lack of a better word, woke culture and, you know, the, the things that we're dealing with about talking about race and um, other things in society um, and explicitly confronting them. Those are all things people were doing in the in the 60s and 70s, you know, watching something like the Jeffersons or Archie Bunker. Right. You oh, know what man. I mean? And growing, and growing up with that. And I do think that there was a, or movies like um, a movie like The Toy. Actually, speaking about things I remember. Wait, from was that what uh, Richard Pryor? Yes, that is one of the movies I remember from my childhood from a very young age was watching The Toy. And I love that movie. Wow. And it's basically where a rich white kid, um, his dad is taking him to buy all this stuff. He's really rich. And he sees Richard Pryor and he's like, I want to buy him. And so yeah. his dad convinces Richard Pryor to come and basically be the child's quote unquote toy companion, whatever, for X amount of money. And Richard Pryor's like, okay. And um, um, it eventually leads to a situation where, uh, I don't know, a little bit of a, a Huckleberry Finn type situation where um, he's the only res- good adult that this white kid is around. Um, it was a good movie and definitely very uh, taking on a lot of racial and class ideas at first while also being funny. And I think in the 70s, um, that was a lot of that. And Watermelon Man, Watermelon Man is a good example. And that's a movie that I knew of its existence. My friend Kendra, I remember, was the first person to mention it to me. But I didn't actually seek it out and watch it until uh, I was trying to figure out the provenance of a skit in that MF Doom album um, where it's like the next... Nice neighborhood. Yeah, next I move neighborhood, in. I neighborhood I move in. You guys get cracked. <laughs> yeah. You oh. get first crack. At first me. crack. He and said he first crack, but Doom edited it for his. Dude M edited it to you yeah. guys get crack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you guys get first crack at me. Was like, That's none of the best yeah. slides. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Trying to bottom out. <laughs> yeah. I really, really appreciated that the first time I heard the song, too, because I was like, oh, that's the Doom shit. Like, oh, yeah. Beautiful. So um, before we get out of here, um, I like to touch on a little trending movie news. Well, hold on, yeah, I guess to answer your question, I yeah, feel like wasn't Mario Van Peep? Isn't that a Mario Van Peebles movie? Um, yeah, uh, the, yeah, the daddy. Yeah, did. yeah, he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. And yeah, I just thought, I, I, yeah, like I just thought that was slick the way you worked that in there. Like you just, you know, once again we're talking about like image, like, like vivid imagery. Like you really, you you took me there, bro. <laughs> like, yeah, you need some light. We got. Got got some layers. <laughs> Always. Um, so before we get out of here, um, I'd like to touch on a little trending movie movie news. And like the one thing that came to mind for me with you guys is of course your group's name is Armin Hammer. And uh, you know, like every, oh, man. Yeah, and yeah, every, every so like so, so like everything going on with Army Hammer, like 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 forgetting all the terrible fucked up shit he did, like I just like Vanity Fair just put out this crazy piece about his family, and I just learned that Armin Hammer was actually Army Hammer's great grandfather. I mm-hmm. didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I did know that. Wow. You can't not know it if you're in a group called Ann Armin Hammer because literally, if you Google Arm, if you if you searched on Twitter Armin Hammer every day, ten people uh, for until time immemorial will say yeah. 
Can you believe that Arm and Hammer is every the same day. guy who bought the car every day? I'm sorry. 20 people are amazed that they found out this fact <laughs> and or are jumping down a white supremacist, anti-Semitic rabbit hole yeah. about Arm and Hammer being a Soviet uh, asset Boy. and <laughs> and somehow Al Gore being his <laughs> his successor. Some, right. some crazy <laughs> shit, man. Trust me. It's... Uh, and I also feel like coming back to talk about movies, it's funny. I feel kind of like, what? I have the worst luck. Like, I didn't even know there was an, like, Army Hammer, his name wasn't Armin Hammer, uh, publicly still isn't, and, but he was barely known when we started the group. So I hadn't even considered that right. possibility. Right. And what are the chances that this happens right before putting out the album? Not unlike a long time ago, I came up with this group name, The Reavers. And as soon as we put the album out, right when we were about to put it out, and I was just thinking of an obscure group of villains from a Marvel X-Men comic books in the 80s. Yeah, Very obscure. Didn't last long. Okay. Uh, in Australia and all of that. As soon as we're getting ready to put the album out, they put out a movie of, I can't remember what movie came out, but this movie in space came out and the villains were called the Reavers. And then I just spent the whole time answering questions about if I'd named the group after like Battlestar Galactica villain or something. I can't even remember what it was called. It was just like some crazy bad luck. Damn, that's cold. Um, but yes, I did know that Army, I, I, yes, yes, I, I know so much about the Arm and Hammer family now that uh, even if you don't want to, literally Google that Arm and Hammer every day and you'll see those results every day. Yeah, because I saw uh, um um I saw Elucid post the Reddit thing where somebody was like, oh, like Army Hammer's putting out a rap album, like <laughs> thanks for yeah, like look at you supporting a cannibal. Like. Yeah, people are like you. Maybe you guys should change your name. Fuck out of here. Like, Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Thanks for listening. Shout out to y'all for making it this far, and shout out to all the black people listening too. Cause y'all really impeccable. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and tell a friend to come through next time. One.